Nan Kuranir, the Wizard's Vale, is a place of terror. When the heroes of Rohan, with Gandalf and the remnants of the Fellowship arrive, they are greeted by a statue of the White Hand, the emblem of Saruman, hideous even in its powerlessness. And then there is the Ring of Isengard and the Tower of Orthanc, soaked almost through by the waters of the River Isen. This shell, this husk of power and hubris and reckless hate, has been brought to its knees by the most primal of all forces in Middle-earth. Its lush verdure was tilled up into a militaristic hellscape. Its cellar delved into a vast prison system and forge of weaponry, and now all is drowned and ruined. Its bounty has been swallowed up by its pride. But things weren't always this way, no. While it is and was a place of power, a defensible valley fortress, and so a place of constant contention, the Wizard's Vale and Isengard within it was once green and good and held fast by the indomitable wisdom and craftsmanship of the West. It's Nan Kuranir on Beneath Your Feet. In earlier years, this valley was a beautiful and powerful place crafted by the men of Gondor when the skill passed down to them by their Numenorean forebears was still strong. Isengard and Orthanc appear to have been a part of the same development deal as Helm's Deep, with walls impossibly smooth and hard and unscalable. All of Tolkien's magic is subtle and difficult, but Numenorean architecture has a particular elvishness to it by its inexplicability. Somehow, those early Gondorian walls were just perfect. It was a keep meant to watch the bounds of their once powerful kingdom made of two parts. The fortress itself, called Isengard, and then the Tower of Orthanc. There was room aplenty for the Lord of Isengard and his servants and vassals, and from there the western entry into the then Gondorian lands of Kalinarthon, now known as the Mark, was kept safe where the misty mountains met the white. Then the plagues came, and the invaders, and Gondor was put to the test. She came out alive, but not uninjured. Many of her people were killed in battle or in bed, and so the defenses of her marches were left untended. The Rohirrim came, Orthanc was emptied, but the fortress of Isengard itself remained manned by Gondorians. They were all but forgotten, and under some evil influence or other were said to have fallen into witchcraft. They grew friendly with the wild men and mingled with the Dunlendings, and their guard slackened. Isengard slipped into the hands of those wild men who made war against the Rohirrim and Gondor. And then the wizards came, a new order of an ancient race living beyond the spheres of the mortal world. Their chief was Saruman, the White, called Kuranir, man of skill, in Sindarin. In the beginning, 
He was much like his counterparts and moved here and there, helping where he might. He went east, and upon his return he came into the knowledge of Orthanc, and the palantir stored there, and the strong locked tower, and of the inconveniences the failed fortress had brought the free men of those lands. He offered his services as keeper of Isengard, warden of the western edge of Rohan. Freilof, king of Rohan, and baron steward of Gondor, agreed, and it was good for a time. But, as we all know, the white was corrupted and made the many colored. He wished to become a power, to seize the one ring for himself, and though he was enticed by Sauron and made an alliance with Mordor, his double treachery became known later as he designed to capture the halflings Merry and Pippin, and with them the one ring, or so he thought. The once pleasant and thriving lands of the valley and the Ring of Isengard were leveled and made into a massive war machine. This image, for those of us who saw the films or played through this portion of The Lord of the Rings online, is vivid. Smoke from underground chambers, catapults and siege towers, battlements, and an army of orcs. Gandalf espies these things when he is imprisoned atop Orthanc. The Ring of Isengard itself proved to be an excellent place of war, for it was easy to defend. The perfect ring of stone one mile across had only a single entrance at its southern point with, quote, mighty doors of iron. They were so wrought and poised upon their huge hinges, posts of steel driven into the living stone, end quote. Even before Saruman's treachery, the area beneath the seemingly placid ground was already delved and a series of passageways and tunnels and rooms for the keeping of the garrison at Isengard were constructed. This made for an easy transition to the massive forges and barracks we see in the films and in Lotro. The purpose Saruman put the underground complex to is only hinted at in the books. We never see it directly, for our only first-hand account of Isengard, at a reasonable proximity, is after it was flooded by the Ents, and that is the ultimate fate of Isengard. Led by Treebeard, the Ents rename it Treegarth, and their wish to keep it a lush garden, part of their tree herds, is granted by King Elisar. And so the great fortress of the Numenorians passes into equally strong, if not particularly watchful, hands. However, the Isengard we are most familiar with is the one we see in Lotro. We, the players, are made captives and serve out a term, running errands for the Uruks who run the place before plotting our escape. It is a horrible place and we are given a look at what was a very likely possibility. Isengard had been transformed into a slave pen, a small hell to rival that of Baradur. Treebeard calls Saruman's breeding of half-orcs a black evil, and it has been suspected that men were forced to breed with orcs there. 
Slaves were made to serve under the lash, fodder for Saruman's army. Not the kind of place you want to be. Being the intrepid, high-level explorers and adventurers that we are, we break out of Isengard. Later, we attack Isengard directly and smash the ring forges of Saruman, even tangle with the many-colored wizard himself. An unlikely scenario, but not so unlikely for we who have slain Balrogs and undead dragons. We make it out, of course, just in time to help the Ents get some things done. What Saruman did not count on, of course, was that the forest he used as fuel for his vast war machine would turn against him. In contrast to the Dark Tower, Isengard and Orthanc are strong symbols for the end of the Third Age. Mordor, Sauron, and his abode are pure evil. The Wizard's Veil, however, is many-hued, and the end of the Age is a time of renewal. A new king, a new shire, a new calendar, new marriage, and life. Under the new occupancy of the Ents, this valley will be transformed from a warm engine to a lush green place full of life and new hope for the Onodrim. The Dark Tower is torn down and never rebuilt, but Isengard is saved. No doubt we Lotro lovers will have a hand at this at some point. Retaking the darkness is never easy, so I would expect Treebeard to call upon us at some point. For now, Nankurinir remains a ruined land with a great black thorn sticking out of its side, a reminder that when we try to break a thing to find out what it is, we leave the path of wisdom. Thanks for listening to Beneath Your Feet. For more information on the show, please visit anchor.fm slash L-O-T-R-O-B-Y-F. From there, you can find links to share the show across all platforms. You can message me or send me a voicemail, which might just be included on the show. You can also leave a tip. Any support, a review, a share, a dollar is all very much appreciated. Today's music comes from the Lord of the Rings online soundtrack, the Tolkien Ensemble, and The Wizard by Uriah Heep. This episode was written and read by me. My name is Derek, and we'll see you next time when we go Beneath Your Feet.